Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Today, it's a David sandwich and I'm in the middle. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Bodemer, who have you brought on the show today? This week, we have with us uh, David Howard, who is the Executive Director for the National Rental Home Council. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I was very excited to um, get a chance to speak to you because this is a, you know, this is a segment of the market that we are, you know, we've been covering it at, you know, my publication for a couple of years as it's emerged as a, as a, as more of an asset class for uh, commercial real estate development, but it's still something that um, I feel like we have a lot to learn about. Um, So I was hoping if, you know, just to get us started, if you could, you know, just it's just, you know, for our audience who, who may not be aware, um, what, you know, what your organization does and, what, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to um, uh, provide some information along those lines. The National Rental Home Council is the national trade association representing the single family rental home industry. And just to provide some color and context in terms of the scale of that industry, there are more single-family rental home units in the country than there are apartment rental units in the country. There are 43 million rental units in the United States. 23 million of those units are single-family rental homes of between one and four units. And I like to I like to start with that context because I think when most people think about renting rental units. They think about apartment buildings, multifamily product. But again, when you look at the universe of rental housing that's out there, more than half of the rental housing in this country is accounted for by single family rental homes, again, of between one and four units. I think that, that again, provides some nice context for folks who aren't as familiar with the single family rental home market. As for my organization, the National Rental Home Council, again, we're the trade association that represents this industry. Uh, the majority of our members are owners and operators of single family rental homes, either large portfolios in the case of many of the publicly traded companies who are in this business. Um, also have a number of mid-size owners and operators. We also have a number of very small owners and operators. Uh, very small single-family rental home landlords. And and that's an important thing to point out as well, because within this universe of 23 million single-family rental homes, the overwhelming majority of these properties are owned by small, you often see the the title mom and pop landlords. The vast majority of single-family rental homes in this country are in fact owned by these smaller mom and pop type landlords approximately 95%, as a matter of fact, of single-family rental homes in this country are 
again, owned by smaller mom and pop type landlords. Our organization, again, represents the full gamut of the owners and operators within this space. In terms of the membership, we also, uh, we also are fortunate to include a number of service providers to the industry, builders, developers, um, accountants, attorneys, technology companies, uh, and, and the like. So a, a, real, a real, real strong grouping of companies representing essentially every aspect of the single family rental home industry. We're based in Washington, D.C. We perform a number of the, the kinds of activities you would probably expect a trade association to, to perform. We do a lot of legislative work here in Washington, D.C., working with uh, elected officials, appointed officials. We also do um, a good bit of legislative and regulatory work in state capitals across the country. We've got fairly extensive practices in California, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, just to name a few of the states where we're, we're most active. Um, hold a number of conferences during the course of the year. Really exist as, as a way for our members to explore and amplify best practices, and of course, to share those best practices throughout the membership. So I'll, I'll end it there. That's who we are in a nutshell. Um, happy to provide some more information. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I got, I got a, a lot of questions. Um, I mean, w one is my understanding of the space is that, you know, obviously the concept of renting out homes is not new and, and, um, you know, as you talked about the, the, the stock itself is, is pretty massive. It seems like the, the, a newer relative, although it's not that new anymore, but a relatively newer phenomenon is this concept of, entities, REITs, other organizations operating like portfolios at scale of this kind of asset. And then even um, more recently, I, f I feel like we've been writing about and, I'm, and reading about um, a lot of now just, pro you know, build single family rental projects being built from the ground up, just, just, you know, entire uh, projects that are never, we're never you know, even envisioned as being sold as single family homes, but were entirely just built for rental. So, you know, I'm kind of curious about, yeah, if that, you know, if that's accurate and, and um, what all that kind of means in terms of like uh, this industry. Yeah. You know, David, that's an, that's an excellent point. The, the, the business, you're right. The business of renting single family homes has been around forever. And frankly, it probably hasn't changed that, that much over time. The thing that's that's new about this business, and it's a, it's certainly a, a growing part of this business, is the the presence of larger companies, larger owners who can operate at scale. The, the tricky part of this business has always been property management. It's always mm -hmm. been operations. Whether again, you're a um, uh, an owner with one property or an owner with a hundred properties, or in the case of many of the companies that you're seeing now, you're talking about portfolios in the tens of thousands of properties. Again, the trick has always been, how do you provide the customer service, the property management, the community involvement and engagement that, that you need to, to really make the business work? And companies who are coming into the space today, companies who 
have come into the business over the past five to 10 years have figured that out. And, and, and you're right, David, that's what's really new. And, and frankly, I think quite exciting about this business, um, about where a lot of these companies are going. Technology has made so much of this business possible. Um, it's, it's really the innovation that technology allows that enables companies to operate these portfolios at scale. And again, you're talking about technologies that really didn't exist, certainly 20 years ago, but even five years ago and 10 years ago. And as, as the technology that these companies are using to manage their portfolios and manage their properties becomes more available and more accessible, um, I certainly expect to see companies will continue to grow. You'll see more companies coming into the space. You'll see more capital coming into the space and and that will enable the industry to continue growing. Yeah, it just seems like from like an operational perspective, right? This idea that like if you're managing a multifamily, you know, a garden style apartment or an urban tower, it's like the management office is, is you know, all the units are in one spot, the management office is downstairs. You're with this, you're talking about portfolios that could be spread out. So yeah, that whole that developing of of the capability to manage a portfolio of assets that may not even be all, you know, adjacent seem, is very fascinating to me. Right. It, it, you bring up an interesting comparison with, with our counterparts in the multifamily space. When you have an apartment building that's comprised of 100 units, you have somebody who's on site. You have a property manager who's right there. All the units are right there. Everything is condensed. Everything is easily serviced. Everything is convenient, again, because everything is in close proximity. That's always been something that operators in our industry, in the single family space, had difficulty figuring out, again, until relatively recently through the advent and adoption of, of new technologies. Um, but, but even with that, you're finding with the larger companies, they're still interested in building portfolios that can be easily serviced because they're located in similar markets. So you're not seeing, for example, companies that might have a handful of properties in 45 different markets. Instead, what you're seeing is a company that might have 2,000 properties in eight markets. That's the sort of thing you're seeing. And the reason you're seeing that is because what that what that business model allows is it allows you to have on-site property management staff. So if you have if you have a portfolio of properties in Atlanta, for example, and that portfolio is comprised of 2500 homes, you can actually have property management professionals located in that market, located in Atlanta who can service those homes. And if you have a portfolio of a similar size in Phoenix and Dallas and St. Louis, Orlando, you basically just replicate that business model. You have property management and customer service staff in all of those markets who can service those homes. And so literally, if you go to um, Nashville, I'll just pick one of, one, one of the bigger companies in the space, Invitation Homes. If you go to um, Nashville, you're likely to see Invitation Homes service vans driving around the interstate in Nashville, servicing their homes. Again, if you have 
four homes in Nashville or 10 homes in Nashville, it's, it's awfully difficult to make that work. So, so scale is important. The technology is important. And, and again, lastly, the customer service and the property management aspect is, is, is critical. I should point out, I, I, I qualify as a single family uh, renter since I um, live in Brooklyn. Um, my landlord, he owns this, uh, we're in a brownstone with, with four floors and he lives on the bottom two and we rent the third floor and then there's somebody above us who rents the fourth floor. So there's okay. two units. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just, um, he's, he's owned this building for 50 years. The allure of, of, of this may be kind of living versus um, a traditional apartment. That's sort of like, and the reason I, I bring that up is one of the, um, um, I think the points in that I saw from your organization, I think um, last month was the was the fact that, and I think this has been generally something that we've been seeing throughout the past year is that demand for these kind of units does seem like it's held up or if not been actually um, even higher uh, recently than, than it has been. That's true. That's true. Uh, demand for single family rental homes, frankly, demand for single family homes, period, whether their rental homes or owner-occupied homes has has remained strong over the past, really since the beginning of the pandemic, it, it, and, that, and that's due to to a couple of reasons. Demand for single-family homes was strong before COVID. COVID essentially just put a lot of things in overdrive that were already happening. Again. The market for single-family homes is extremely supply-constrained in this country, and, and frankly, has been for some time, certainly before COVID. Meaning, there just simply aren't enough homes in this country to meet the demand for housing, whether it's rental or owner-occupied. And the single-family rental home industry has benefited from those supply constraints. Larger owners, and not just larger owners, but owners in the single-family rental home space have been extremely active over the recent health pandemic, trying to bring more supply online. You you referenced one of the the newest and and frankly pretty exciting trends in in the industry, which is build for rent, which is the idea of building new single-family homes exclusively for the purpose of renting. Uh, that's one of the ways that the industry has tried to address this issue of supply. Um, I mentioned many of these trends were were at play before COVID. There's a, there, there's a certain movement in this country toward toward renting, whether that whether that's short term, whether that's long term. I think people are just becoming more accustomed to the idea of renting a home. I mean, there's so much. There, there's so much to this idea of renting that exists in other aspects of our lives. We're now starting to see that come to housing. People rent essentially their cars. People rent their clothes. They rent their music. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of that is starting to come to the housing industry. And we've certainly benefited from that. But getting back to this idea of supply and demand, I mentioned build for rent is one of the ways that the industry is trying to bring more supply online. 
people have gravitated toward single family rental homes, certainly during the last 10 months when we've all been living with with COVID, um, as they have been forced to work from home and they've been forced to school um, from home, educate their kids at home, they're looking for more space. They're, they're, they're looking for somewhere to live that has three bedrooms instead of say two bedrooms. They're looking for a front yard. They might be looking for a garage. This industry has benefited from those trends. I'm, I'm not sure that once we get past COVID, once the vaccines become more readily available, um, the, the big question is, will those trends, how will those trends change? I'm certainly not one to think that um, this, this movement toward more space is going to go away anytime soon. And so I think the single family rental home industry will, will probably um, remain in fairly good stead, certainly for the foreseeable future. And then on the investor and the investor side of the equation, um, you know, we have, there are big REITs now, there are private players that own lots of some of these portfolios. Are, are there other, so it, it seems like then that, that there's opportunities as retail investors to buy, to buy, to buy shares. There's opportunity for private placements. Are you seeing um, changes in the types of, of, uh, investor that are interested in this asset class that maybe have not looked at it in the past? There, there is growing interest in this asset class among institutional investors and retail investors. We have certainly seen that in terms of, um, if you look at nothing more than, for example, the share prices of publicly traded companies in this space, um, if you look at the ability of private companies in this space to expand because of capital that is coming into the industry, if you look at the fact that new companies are being formed as a result of the capital coming into this industry, it's um, it's certainly safe to say that that there is investor interest in this in this industry that that likely won't go away. Um, you know, housing is a mainstay of the U.S. economy. People will always need somewhere to live. Um, the question, again, facing this industry, which is an industry, again, that has been around forever, the question is, how do you really make this work as a business? And that's what a lot of these larger companies have figured out. And capital has realized that, capital providers have realized that, and they're interested in leveraging the opportunities that they're now finding in this industry. You know, frankly, frankly, um, the, one of the things that investors who are interested in the space need to figure out is where to put that capital. Uh, because this is a business that is very much about operations. If you have a portfolio of 25,000 homes, this isn't about just building homes and selling them. This is about building, in the case of build for rent, you're building homes, or if you're buying homes and renting them, the business here is about renting those homes. It's about the customer service. It's about the property management. It's about being a part of those communities where the homes are located. You have to have 
a certain amount of know-how to make that business work. You have to know how to operate those properties and those portfolios. And, and um, you know, I, I talked about the tricky part of this business being making the property management aspects of it work. You know, that's, that's very much um, also a part of what I'm talking about now, which is if you're interested in investing in this, in this industry, in this market, you, you need to find an operator who knows what they're doing and um, can continue to grow their business. And, and again, from, a, from, from the perspective of somebody who's providing capital to this industry, that's, that, that's a critical component of, of what you need to figure out. And what about on the the, the, the leasing side? Um, how has that process is that how has that process been affected by COVID? And um, are operators able to? Are, are, has it changed the pace of like how how often people are moving in and out or or renewals? And then in terms of when there is turnover, you know, the process of of move out, move in, is any how is all that stuff um, kind of working right now you know it's interesting there was a report that came out i think just this morning may have been over the last couple of days i think it was a redfin report that um showed homeowners are are staying in their homes longer i I don't have the the data here in front of me so i'm not exactly i don't remember what the length of time was but the gist of the report basically was people who own homes are living in those homes longer we're seeing the same thing with rental homes Um, the rate of renewal is has been higher over the past year um, than it had been. So people are renting homes and they're staying in those homes. Now, obviously, COVID likely has something to do with that. Um, and again, whether that's a long-term trend in the, in the industry, we're not, you know, we're, we're not sure at this point. Again, I'm, my guess is it has something to do with the supply constraints in the housing market but again we are seeing people stay in homes longer getting back to your question about about leasing that's 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 a very real example of how technology has impacted this business a lot of the larger owners were quick to um, switch to virtual showings early in the in the covid pandemic Um, so that now virtually all showings certainly in terms of what the larger companies are doing, um, take place um, online through virtual circumstances, um, which which was one of the first ways that this industry responded to the realities of of the COVID crisis. So um, so virtual showings, um, a lot of the homes now incorporate a keyless entry features into the homes, um, and so it's it's literally possible to tour a home that is available online to be able to apply to rent that home all online and to get the keys to that home without actually having to meet with a representative physically meet with a representative from that company and so again technology makes all of that possible and i think what you're going to see in in terms of where things like that head those are really innovations that the larger companies are availing themselves of currently, which I think is is typical of what you see with technology in any industry. The companies who have the resources to bring on the latest technologies 
um, are going to take advantage of them. And, and that has a way of sort of diffusing throughout the industry. And so you're, you're going to start to see the mid-size owners, the small owners and operators, even eventually the smaller mom and pop landlords take advantage of some of these technologies that are out there. So you know, we, we could be living in a world, I don't know, five years from now, 10 years from now, where all of this, you know, all of these things we've been talking about virtual showings, keyless entry, um, digital lease forms, that could just be the standard of how things are, are done in the single family rental home business, regardless of whether you're, what, whether you have a property that's owned by a large company or um, owned by an individual who has just that one property. Well, well it could be interesting to, uh, to see how that all continues to play out. Um, the last area I wanted to ask you about was on the legislative side, if there are specific priorities um, for your group right now and, and, and how, you know, we are recording this the day after um, Joe Biden has now been inaugurated and the Democrats are now taking control of the Senate. So now we have, you know, full democratic control of Congress and the white house. I'm wondering, like, just get like with that landscape, and or just in overall, if you have any specific legislative priorities or agendas um, for for the year. We do, and and as as you likely would suspect, we we are strictly bipartisan in our legislative outreach efforts. Um, we have we're fortunate that we have a number of really good relationships with um, folks in Democratic leadership rank and file members in the House and the Senate, um, building on relationships in the new administration. Uh, we're, we're optimistic about where things are, are heading. Uh, we, we actually sort of like the lay of the land as we look across the landscape. Um, I will tell you uh, from the beginning of the COVID crisis back in March of last year, we were advocating very strongly for rental assistance mm -hmm. as, as a way to provide relief for both struggling renters and property owners. Um, renters who were having difficulty paying their rent and property owners who were having difficulty paying um, the cost of ownership for those homes. Remember, if, 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 if you have a tenant and they're not paying rent, somebody has to pay the property taxes, somebody has to pay the mortgage, somebody has to pay the utilities and the upkeep, the maintenance, the renovations. And um, again, if you're a property owner and you're not receiving full rent for those properties, it could be really difficult for you as an owner to hold on to that property. And, and we're actually starting to see that. We hear from a number of single family rental home owners um, particularly a lot of the smaller mom and pop owners who are really having a difficult time during this, this crisis. You know, some of that is tied to the eviction moratorium. We know there's a lot of hurt out there. Um, you know, obviously people um, are having a difficult time you know, making it through this, this particular crisis. Um, we understand that. We recognize that. We're looking to Congress and the new administration to address a lot of that, a lot of that hardship that's out there, again, both in terms of tenants and property owners. And we think rental assistance really is the only way to, to do well and to provide relief 
for both struggling tenants and property owners. And so we've been we've been urging Congress to um, to come out with a form of rental assistance, which they now have done. The stimulus bill that came out in late right. December includes twenty five billion dollars of rental assistance, which we think is going to be really important. We're working with the Department of Treasury um, in many states across the country on the disbursement of those funds, the application procedures, things of that nature. President Biden has announced that he will push for more rental assistance along the lines of 25 to $30 billion um, in the next round of stimulus that likely will come out this, this spring. Um, and so, again, we, we think rental assistance is, is, is really what's needed in this environment and is going to be so important, again, to, to those tenants and, and property owners who, who are looking for relief during this period of time. Yeah, I think that is such an important point because, you know, the eviction moratoriums sounds good and obviously they are good, be, you know, for, for don't want to be want to have to put people out of their homes in the middle of a pandemic. But, you know, like you said, the operational cost, the mortgages, all that stuff has to has to be dealt with at some point. So I think that's why the advocation and, and the implementation of, of these of these rental assistance programs is 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 extremely important. And, and um, you know, and the job is and, and, and why, you know, ev eviction moratoriums on their own are not are not the solution. Well, and, and here's another important point um, that that is not being widely discussed, but but I but I think deserves a lot of attention from policymakers, from elected officials, but also from leaders within the industry. And, and that is if we have a long running eviction moratorium. Now, keep in mind, we've had an eviction moratorium in place since March of 2020. President Biden has talked about extending the moratorium through September of 2021. So you're, you're talking about a scenario where, where you could very easily have an eviction moratorium in place for a year and a half, you know, fully 18 months. Then when you layer on top of that all of the state and local level eviction moratoria, if there's not adequate rental assistance, the risk here is property owners in this space are just going to say, you know what? I need to get out of this business. And when you when you look at this particular industry, single family rental homes, again, single family rental homes account for over half of the rental housing in this country. The vast majority of those homes are owned by small mom and pop landlords. If you own one or two homes and you have a tenant who's not paying rent, either because they can't or they won't, and you can't evict, Again, we fully accept and recognize that there's a lot of hardship out there. But again, if you're the property owner and you're going on five months, seven months, 10 months, where you haven't received full rent, the question becomes, how long can you hold on? And when does it become easier for you to say, it's not worth it, I need to get out of this business. And so my concern and the concern of the industry is we could be sitting here a year from now asking ourselves, what happened to all the rental housing in this country? We talked about the fact that housing in the United States is supply constrained already. If you start to see a scenario where some percentage of those single family rental home owners that I talked about, 5%, 10%, if they get out of the industry, then where are we? You know, if we see a depletion in units of available housing if we go from 23 million to 20 million I mean, what what does that do to all those folks who 
need housing in this country. And you know, this isn't 2008, 2009, where you had a lot of homeowners that were foreclosed on or had to go through short sell circumstances because housing prices were falling dramatically. I mean, in a lot of cases, unfortunately, the only option for many of those people was foreclosure. That's not the case today. We're in a market where housing prices are holding steady. You know this better than I. They're holding steady or in a lot of markets, they're still increasing. If you're a property owner and you're not receiving enough rent to pay your bills, you have to ask yourself the question, how much longer can I go on? On the one hand, on the other hand, when does it make sense for me to sell and walk away with whatever equity has built up in that home? And so again, as a longer term thing, and, and maybe not that much longer term, our real concern here in terms of the eviction moratorium versus rental assistance is when do you get to a point where enough owners say, I just can't stay in this business any longer? Well, I hope we don't get to that point. I hope uh, the, 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 you know, the, hoping the vaccinations help things out, that the government, you know, does enough of the assistance to get us through there. And we don't kind of see that scenario that you're talking about. And, you know, lenders, hopefully, I mean, I think lenders have also, in a lot of cases, have been willing to give people some slack, knowing the end is in sight. So hopefully all those kind of things hold and we don't end up in the situation where, like you're talking about, where we're now we suddenly are dealing with taking away supply in a supply constrained market already. That would be the preference. The preference certainly would be um, we get past this, we get past it soon. And, and again, as I said earlier, we, we, we like what we're hearing out of Washington, D.C. Um, we're um, very much looking forward to working with um, members in Congress from, from both sides. We've got good relationships uh, in place with leadership. So, you know, we're, we're optimistic about where things are going to go. We just, again, we need to make sure um, you know, we get the vaccine out becomes what readily available to get people back to work. And I think everybody wants that. I mean, that clearly is where, is where um, everybody wants to go. And we're certainly no different. And, and we want to be supportive where we can. So uh, that's, that's kind of where we are um, in terms of the playbook legislatively. Okay. Well, I've taken up a good chunk of your time. I guess I'll just say, if you know, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that, you know, any point, any other points that you'd want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I think this has been a very, very, um, very good conversation. Again, I certainly appreciate you all having me on the show. It's been great to talk with you. And uh, I would encourage your, uh, your listeners to uh, visit our, our website. It's probably the easiest way to get some more information, not only about us, but about the industry. The, uh, the website address is rentalhomecouncil.org, www.rentalhomecouncil.org. So we'd love to hear from anyone out there. My contact information is on the website. Please uh, email me with any questions or um, um, concerns or things you're seeing in the marketplace. We'd love to hear from, from all of you. Great. Well, thank you. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time and walking me through all this stuff. I, you know, I was answering all my questions. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, David. Guys, this was a ton of food for thought. I know that I'll be uh, keeping a close watch on that because, again, uh, everybody is affected by this. No matter what's going on, uh, landlords, if they're deciding to sell and, and get out because they just can't take it anymore, then that's going to do something to home prices as well. We all know that everything kind of affects everything else. So, 
Uh, great information today. Thank you so much uh, for, to both of you, Davids. And uh, of course, last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan. Liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.